What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Ohioverse presented by Deep Dive Sports. It's myself and Greg. As always, we're going to jump right into this episode. As always, we're going to talk about Ohio State. I feel like we kind of have to <laughs> with how uh, how well they're doing this year. Um, this first question is going to sound maybe a little bit hating on Kyle McCord, but it's not necessarily that he's been struggling all season. It just kind of seems like maybe the past three games he's turned the ball over a little bit more um, than normal. And I just kind of wanted to get Greg's opinion on, you know, what he thought maybe the reason was behind that. And maybe if Kyle McCord could kind of write the ship as we get into, I would say, a couple weeks out from Michigan and then hopefully a playoff run in the playoffs. Greg? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing for Kyle McCord has been just the consistency. I mean, obviously, we talked about it before, but the the last two games, the, the turnovers have been, I think he had three interceptions in the last two games, um, and he only had one through the first seven games. Um, according to Ryan Day, it, he believes that McCord is not finding the right rhythm um, and, you know, could be a little bit of Day's fault for not putting him in the best position to take care of the ball. Um so it's like when his feet are right and his eyes are right, uh, you know, he can be his best. But um, I think that the problem with Kyle McCord is that he, when he's forced to improvise, that's when he's been challenged. And, you know, as an elite quarterback, you have to be able to improvise in the pocket and be able to create plays. And that's where I think it kind of sets him apart from some of the elite quarterbacks that are out there right now is that he, he just doesn't have – I don't know if he doesn't possess because that's not the right word, but he, he doesn't necessarily have the correct skill set right now to matter or not. That's not even the right word either. Um, Contribute in those uh, situations where he needs to improvise. And so, you know, that's where I think it's going to be challenging him when he faces, you know, defenses like, Michigan, you know, possibly Georgia, possibly Florida, um, that are going to be a, a lot tighter of a of a unit than what maybe they've put the Penn State game a little bit, but um, and maybe you, you could even say Notre Dame, but I mean, look how Notre Dame has fallen uh, down by the wayside. So uh, for the most part, he just needs to get his head right, um, needs to improvise a little bit more, and stop turning the ball over. Yeah, I, I kind of look at it a lot as well as like you, you mentioned the improvising and in, in the being able to make plays on the move. I think, you know, I don't know. He obviously could probably, like you said, get to that and have that ability at some point, but it doesn't seem like he does right now. And you, I think we're used to that because the past two quarterbacks we had in CJ Stroud and Justin Fields, you know, obviously Justin Fields was a big threat with his legs, but he was able to improvise and get things done on the move and cj stroud showed especially in that georgia game that that he can improvise and get things done on the move um and we haven't really seen a pocket passer in this system since ryan day with Dwayne haskins and when we had Dwayne haskins he lit up you know the statue had like over 50 touchdowns i think he only had like one interception on the season so he was able to dissect defenses but i think we saw once he got to the league that ability to um be productive when things broke down. I think that's what really kind of hindered him in the league as well, too. So that's something Kyle McCord is going to have to learn to adjust to. And and maybe that's why going into that first week or two that a lot of people looked at Devin Brown and in that organization, and maybe they saw that he was able to do that and Kyle McCord wasn't. 
And maybe that's why a lot of people had him maybe pegged to be the starter over Kyle McCord. Um, obviously, Kyle McCord has started every single game pretty much and played the majority of it. So, But maybe that that is a skill that Devin Brown possesses that a lot of people looked at and were like, hey, this is what we are used to. This is what we're accustomed to. So I don't know. It is interesting. Like I said, I didn't want to frame that question as a, oh, Kyle McCord has sucked all season because he hasn't. He's had a pretty, you know, solid season. I, I'm not going to say that he's on par with some of the guys that we've had in the past, but I don't think he's been bad. I think he's been, you know, a a, a good quarterback. And I think that he just has room to develop and grow. I, I made this comment the other day, like, I think we had a lot of these same questions about CJ Stroud in his first year, right? CJ Stroud was not perfect. Uh, he struggled at times. And I think Kyle McCord is, is a two year guy. I think that he's going to start next year as well, too. I don't think he should go in the draft this year and next year. Hopefully we see that, that jump that we saw in CJ Stroud. And then maybe he can kind of develop into an NFL quarterback like uh, CJ Stroud was able to, I don't know how much room that leaves for Devin Brown or any other quarterbacks on the roster, but We'll kind of get there when we get there, I guess. <laughs> uh, the past two, did you have anything? Well, yeah, I mean, I just kind of wanted to uh, like some follow-up questions, I guess I could say. Um, I mean, is there anybody out there in in the transfer portal that you think that is is a plausible, um, you know, replacement if if this um, if McCord doesn't necessarily work out? And a caveat side, uh, did you expect with what CJ Stroud has been able to accomplish this his rookie year in the NFL. Uh, did you expect that from him? For the first one, I I wouldn't go into the transfer portal and pick anybody out unless like unless you could go back and get Quinn Ewers. I think that's that's probably the one Quinn Ewers is another guy that I look at. I don't think he's as big as a what if as um Joe Burrow is. But I do think that's a guy that in the system, the way he's playing this year, could you imagine him throwing to Marvin Harrison and, and Emeka Abuka and stuff like that? I think that would have been way more explosive. But I just think right now you you have the guys in your quarterback room that you're going to have. I think going out and getting somebody else is – it just will be more of a lateral move at this point. I think Kyle McCord can develop into you know, a serviceable quarterback. I mean, we saw Georgia win with Stetson Bennett two championships, right? And I'm not saying Stetson Bennett's a scrub, but I don't think that Stetson Bennett is really going to be at the same level as a CJ Stroud or maybe even Anthony Richardson or even uh, Bryce Young in the NFL. You know what I mean? So I think that you don't, you don't always have to have an amazing, you know, top three pick at quarterback to win a national championship. I just think you have to have the guys around them to do that. And I think Kyle McCord has that. Um, but Ohio State has, like the next two recruitment classes, they have like five-star guys coming in. And one of them is like, I forget what his name is, but he's like a freakish athlete. Like he's like 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, he's like a lefty. Um, I forget his name. I was watching highlights on him the other day, but he's like a monster. Like he's super big. And I I don't know, like I've not really seen very many lefty quarterbacks that are like that size and can do what he can do, but he has a, he draws a lot of comparisons to like a, like a Cam Newton, Lamar Jackson type. Um, so that would be very interesting coming in. And then we have another guy who just came in this year. who's like a five-star guy. So like, I think Ryan day can develop them. I just think right now he's using comic cord and maybe Devin Brown 
they're just kind of bridge guys. You know what I mean? They're guys that they were five-star guys, but maybe they're they're guys that are just there as placeholders while these other guys kind of develop. And then once he gets this line of like, you know, new quarterbacks in there, they'll kind of just be like, boom, 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 one and done, one and done, one and done. I think we'll be fine. So for the second question, I always thought that CJ Stroud was the better quarterback than Bryce Young. I think we probably agreed on that and had that conversation multiple times, (laughs) but I didn't expect him to be this good. And I don't know if it's, I don't know if that it's like the talent that I didn't expect, but I didn't expect him to be this good of like a leader right off the bat. I think that's the biggest thing. Cause like other than the Georgia game, I think there were so many questions for him here at Ohio state where we were like, is he, is he the voice in the locker room? Is he the leader? Is he the guy to push and galvanize the guys around him? Can he do that? And like I said, other than that Georgia game, it didn't really feel like it. Cause you got to think those Michigan games now are those tainted now with the sign stealing. We'll never know. Like, is that the reason they beat us that bad in the second half of both those games? We'll never know. But regardless, it never felt like he was the guy on the sidelines that was like, rallying the troops you know what I mean but in the NFL with the Texans it really feels like he's the guy who's rallying the troops it feels like he's out there being a leader and I didn't see that with him and I think that's really why he's being so successful and why the Texans are more successful than what you would have thought they would have been at this point um I think the unfortunate part is that he's playing himself out of the opportunity to have Marvin Harrison Jr. again (laughs) but they're playing well and he's he's elevating the guys around him and I think that that's something that is super important Joe Burrow did that you know year one coming in obviously we saw him get hurt and then in his second year we saw him really elevate the guys around him um and I think that that's that's the biggest thing so I'm excited What, what did you think about CJ did you think that you would see this from him at this point Oh no, I can I, I I didn't expect what he's performing. And I mean I, I don't know if you got highlights or I was able to watch that Buccaneers game and just him able to drive down the field with uh, you know a minute and a half or not even that, a minute and like four seconds left and, and be able to not only set them up, you know, for possible field goal, but like he he drove them down for a touchdown. I mean you gotta applaud Baker because Baker pretty much did the same thing with a minute and a half, you know, in a minute and a half's time. But but CJ, like he told the guys on the sideline, we're going down and we're scoring a touchdown. I mean, he was adamant about that. He goes, hey, you know, I don't know how we're going to do it, but but I am going to get us down there. And uh, like you said, that just shows this this leadership that I think that he he's exhibiting is – is putting him in, you know, some some really high categories when it comes to rookie quarterbacks. I mean, he just broke the the single game rookie quarterback, you know, record. Um, that you know, that's just amazing and just wasn't expected from him. So I'm I'm super excited to see what he can uh, contribute out the rest of the year and moving forward in his NFL career because, I mean, he's throwing some darts. He is just it's just fun to watch. You can see. You can see it on his face. You can see the excitement. He has this kind of um, too bad you you guys listening to can't see you know, but he's got this kind of smirk, little grin on little side grin on his mouth that you can tell when he's like super happy and super excited because he mm-hmm. does not he's not a super emotional guy, but he you could tell he just has this little little sly grin. Um, yeah, 
he's really excited about it. And so that's just fun to watch. And, uh, and it's good, you know, that we can cheer on an Ohio State quarterback that's doing well, uh, you know, unlike uh, Justin Fields, uh, you know, dealing with injury, stuff like that. So I don't Justin know. Fields had a good couple of games. I think I, I'll, I'll say it time and time again. If Justin Fields can get out of Chicago, I think he'll be better for it. But just to put things in perspective, I mean, C.J. Stroud has thrown for almost 2,300 yards. He has 14 touchdowns on the season and only one pick. So I think at this point, as long as the wheels don't fall off, he's has he has the rookie of the year on lock. Here's the other thing, and, and I'll say this too, and the other quarterbacks in the league aren't really impressing this year. And I don't think yardage-wise he's off of, he's that far off the top. And I think touchdowns wise, he might be towards the top of the league with the amount of touchdowns he has. And he's definitely touchdown to interception ratio out of all the starters. He is the best at this point, I think, right now. So when you think about that, there is a good possibility that if like even if he doubles this production, you know what I mean? Even if like by the end of the season, he's sitting at like 4,600 yards, 28 touchdowns and two picks. Not only is should he really be the rookie of the year, but I think the MVP conversation should really be around him. You know what I mean? I think if he can get into that 35-plus touchdown range uh, passing-wise and maybe a couple more on the ground, like this is a guy that I think you could realistically start talking about MVP conversation um, in his rookie year because of not only what he's done stat-wise, but what he's been able to do for a Texans team that should be like one in eight right now, you know what I mean? One in seven, like this is not a team that's built to be four and four and 500 and be in a playoff hunt. This is a team that's supposed to be picking in the top five again this year. So, and I think the only reason they're not is because of him. So it'd be very interesting to see what he's able to do the rest of the season. And if he's able to continue this pace, um, I'm just, I'm just excited. Like you said, to, to really see him, him grow and him play and, and change the narrative of quarterbacks that come out of Ohio state. Um, even though I feel like Justin Fields hasn't got the best shake at it, but CJ is going to have to be the one that changes the narrative. Agreed. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about the team that the Texans are going to play this weekend. And, you know, as fun as that game's going to be, I really did want to talk about last week's game against the bills with them and, and how much of a statement win this was for the Bengals and, what it means, you know, for their trajectory going forward, because I do feel like they have to dig themselves out of a little bit of a hole, unfortunately. And that's just due to Joe Burrow's injury and him trying to play through it. And that just those first four weeks of the season were really rough for them. But to me, this was a really big statement when for them, especially against a team that, you know, at the beginning of the season, everybody had pegged to kind of either come out of the, the AFC or really be one of the teams to come out of it. I'm just curious on what your opinion is on, on this past win against the bills, Greg. Well, as uh, I'm not as excited as you are about it, I don't consider it a statement win uh, like you did. Cause really in all honesty, the bills just aren't living up to the hype. They're not, you know, it seems like every season, Josh Allen continues to diminish his, legacy if you could say that as an elite quarterback i just he, he can't win the big games he's just not um you know and if anything it was a statement for the Bengals 
defense, um, you know, in a way, because, you know, I think in all the Bills only passed the 50-yard line, five of the nine drives and struggled to win field position. Um, they started behind their own 15 like four different times, um, you know, and when they finally did score, it, it was way too late. And the offense only possessed the ball, I think, like just under nine minutes in the first half, and that's the lowest time of possession of Josh Allen's career. Um, so to me, again, it's just not a statement when, you know, like you said, I just don't feel like the Bills are that, you know, that 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 category that, that we're, we've all been saying they were for the last couple of years, but yet they still don't seem to do anything. I mean, with this win, and, and I know we, we were talking about percentages last episode about what they needed to do to win to get um, – chances of the playoffs. And I think if they were to lost to the bills, it would have dropped them down to 35% to make the playoffs and um, winning now jumped them up to a 65% chance to make the playoffs. So, I mean, they're, they're inching a little bit closer towards those, those win totals that, that um, lock them down for a playoff spot. And we've all seen before anything can happen in the playoffs. Once a team gets hot or gets, you know, going good in a certain uh, time of the year, uh, it's hard to stop them. So Joe Burrow surprised me every season so far, like last year or in the year before, I, I think I started out trashing him like I did this year. And, and uh, you know, they surprised me with where they were able to take it. So uh, I think the injury definitely hampered him. And I think he's still getting back in the rhythm. And um, like, again, not to, to, to beat a dead horse. I just don't think it was a statement win. I think it was a good win. And I, I'm, I'm happy for the Bengals to see the progression, whether it be slow uh, or not. Um, they still didn't blow them out. Uh, you know, it's it's movement in the right direction, which I think should um, and has made Bengals fans happy. Yeah, I agree. And I, I do see that. We had that conversation on Two Minute Drill about, you know, what the elite quarterbacks were because I had heard a comment earlier this past week that um, – that there might only be two to maybe three elite quarterbacks in the league. And then the drop-off is not necessarily to like elite to great. It's just elite to good. You know, there's not very many like great quarterbacks, if great quarterbacks at all, it's just elite. And there's like good quarterbacks or really good quarterbacks. Um, And I think the, you know, my, my take on it was that Josh Allen, like you said, just wasn't really in that elite quarterback conversation anymore I do feel like he could have been at one point but the amount of turnovers that he's had the past three seasons I I do feel like he's really got to figure that out and get that under control and I feel like that takes him out of that elite quarterback conversation I think he's a good quarterback I think when you look at the quarterbacks around the league I still think that you could put him in the top 10 Um, but I I just think that there are some guys that are that are coming up on him like you look at CJ Stroud and you're like okay CJ Stroud puts up a good performance his rookie year. And then maybe next year he comes out and he, he does a similar performance. He doesn't have a sophomore slump. And then maybe you're looking at CJ Stroud and you're like, I think you might be a better quarterback than, than Josh Allen is because of just how reckless he is with the ball. Now, Josh Allen is a guy that is reckless as he has. I think Dom brought up the point that he has over 200 some touchdowns and between fumbles and interceptions, he only has like 70 or something like that. So Yes, I get it. His like touchdown to turnover ratio is not awful, but again, like you could you could 
throw five interceptions and five touchdowns in a game and win those games just fine against the lower tier teams in the league. But when you face better quality teams, you have to take care of the ball. You can't be going out and throwing four interceptions against Kansas city and not think that that's going to affect that game or against Cincinnati or against Miami. You know what I mean? Like, or the 49ers Eagles, so on and so on. Like that's, that's going to matter in those games. Um, and you have to get that under control. So, but what were we even talking about? Goodness gracious. Oh, the Bengals. <laughs> yes. Um, I don't know. I mean, I only put on there's a statement win just because, like I said, I, I think there was a lot of hype around the Bills and there was a lot of uncertainty around the Bengals going into this season. And I do feel like they're digging themselves out of a hole and they needed to win this game because of how tight the NFC or the AFC North is and how tight the AFC is in general. And, and by beating this Bills team, that puts them ahead of them and that keeps them in the race in the AFC North, which I think is really important because as bad as that Steelers offense is, that defense seems to keep winning them games. And the Browns have been in a similar situation with Deshaun Watson out. But now that Deshaun Watson's back, if he can, continues to play pretty well, then they seem to be pretty formidable as well. And and obviously you have the Ravens who look like probably one of the more complete teams within the NFL right now. So they got to keep pace. But um, let's talk about the Browns and not the Browns in general, but their game record on their defensive side of the ball in Miles Garrett. If you guys don't know, Miles Garrett on the season has 19 solo tackles. He has 9.5 sacks. He has four forced fumbles. And let's see here. Sorry. He has two pass deflections. And I do believe he has a blocked field goal. <laughs> so in your mind, Greg, do you think that Miles Garrett? Um, is the favorite to win defensive player of the year, or is there someone else in your mind that is on pace or should be above him right now? I mean, statistically, uh, you know, and on paper, he is. I think that Vegas has got him even with uh, Mike Parsons. Um, so, I mean, he's shown uh, exemplary play, especially week three versus the Titans and uh, week seven versus the Colts, but those are, are very, very weak O-lines. Um, and in the last two games, week eight and week nine, Seahawks Cardinals, um, I mean, maybe a little bit more with the Cardinals, but the, the Seahawks uh, didn't necessarily show up and he showed up at all uh, versus four Niners. Um, so, yeah, and he's definitely in the category and on paper. He's everything else. Um, you know, I think the two other uh, contenders, you know, depending on how the rest of the season, you know, Nick Bosa of the 49ers, he's the reigning defensive player of the year. Um, he only has three sacks in eight games played this far, but he leads the leads the league with 19 QB hits and is tied for fifth in pressures with 40 with 44 has 16.7 pressure percentage um, and is second best in pass rush halfway through this season. Nika Parsons, he's got the highest pass rush win rate this season after finishing first last season with 33%. He has the highest pressure rate at 22%. And I think that's with a minimum of 200 pass rushes, second most pass pressures at 49 and has the second highest double team rate uh, with 29% uh, among the top 20 edge rushers. And that's, you know, via ESPN. So 
Parsons is on pace to do 15 sacks, 21 tackles for loss, and 36 QB hits. Uh, you know, Miles Garrett is definitely there. He's on basically the, the Browns defense is one of the best units in the league with, uh, I think, 234 yards allowed per game. Ranks the best since the 1991 Philadelphia Eagles. Their 12.7 sack rate is the highest since the 2000 Saints. Their third down percentage of 26% is the best since the 2019 Patriots. And their three and out percentage is 56%, which is the best since uh, at least 2000. So Garrett's obviously a good reason for that. And, and you know, I think that, that, yeah, statistically on paper, everything points to Miles Garrett if his season continues that way. But, you know, with Parsons, with Bosa, putting up these numbers as well, um, it'll be an interesting second half of the season to see uh, who comes out on top. But there are a lot of guys that are doing a lot of good things. And, uh, you know, like I said, the Cleveland Browns in general, uh, that uh, the D is is having a pretty stellar season. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to throw one more name out there. Um, I'm going to throw T.J. Watt's name in there. Same amount of sacks. <clears throat> he only has two forced fumbles to T.J. Watt's. Uh, or no, sorry, uh, Miles Garrett's four. I do think he has more fumble recoveries than Miles Garrett does. Um, TJ has six pass deflections and an interception. So I think, but like you said, between Nick Bosa, Micah Parsons, Miles Garrett, and TJ Watt, I think those are probably the four people that you look at if they doubled their um, production as of this far through the regular season. Then, yeah, I think uh, I think it's going to be a pretty tight race. I think Miles Garrett and TJ right now are projected to have twenty. 20.2 sacks at the end of the season. Um, that's basically the same. And then Micah Parsons, like you said, is projected to have about 15. So obviously Micah Parsons could heat up in this second half and these other two guys could slow down, but I don't know. I don't see him. I think Miles Garrett, TJ Water, probably two of the best pass rushers in the league right now. And yeah, I think Miles Garrett probably has it on lock because of how good that Browns defense is right now. But I don't think it's that that far-fetched to think that Micah Parsons or Nick Bosa or TJ Watt could close the gap through the rest of the season. But yeah, it's hard. It's hard to argue um, with the production. It's hard to argue what the Browns have been able to do. And and I think the change of defensive coordinator has been tremendous for them because this defense has really helped them uh, stay competitive throughout this season while Deshaun Watson has been in and out with injury. Um, I know his boo-boos have been hurting him. So, but now that he's back, you know, like I said, hopefully he plays well and that, that writes the ship for them. So um, I specifically left off TJ just because I wanted to throw some hate at the Steelers and piss you off a little bit. Yeah, it's fine. I was going to say it. I mean, listen, I, I get it, but I think uh, like, like I said, I think uh, TJ Watt is they're pretty much, they pretty much have the same stats. Um, I think the only, like I said, the only difference is the forced fumbles. And then instead of, Fumble recoveries, TJ Watt is winning in that category by two, you know, where Miles Garrett's winning in the category for forced fumbles by two. So you have that polar opposite. TJ Watt has more pass deflections and he has the interception. Um, the way I describe it is like Miles Garrett is a strict pass rusher. That's what he does. And TJ Watt, not that he's great at it, but TJ Watt can drop back into pass coverage and play zone. And that's where you get those interceptions and stuff. And he can play a little bit of that as well, too. So I think that helps him out in in the conversation, but we have, we're in a 
in a generation of football now where you talk about TJ Watt, Miles Garrett, Micah Parsons, the Bosa brothers, Chase Young. Um, oh man, who's the guy in the Vikings? What is it? Harrison Butler or something. Um, and just, you have a ton of good pass rushers. You have Will Anderson Jr. That's in the league. Now you have Max um, Crosby's pretty good. Yeah. Max Crosby You have TJ Hendrickson for the Bengals. Like you have a lot of really good dudes who can get to the quarterback. And there was more that came into the league this year. So it's uh, I think it's really showing because honestly, you look around the league and there's a lot of good defenses in the league. You look at the Steelers, the Browns, the Ravens, the Seahawks, the 49ers, the Cowboys, the Jets. Like I could go on and on about how many like really solid defenses are in the league. And that is due a lot to them having a guy or two on defense that can really get to the quarterback. And I think that's super important. So we'll have to keep watching it, but this is a conversation we'll have maybe as we get a little bit closer towards the end of the season and, and really see where they're at. And uh, maybe by then Greg will give a little bit more respect to TJ Watt. <laughs> Not likely, but okay. <laughs> That's fine. I'll keep giving respect to TJ Watt. <laughs> hey, at, least, at least I'm giving it to Miles Garrett. <laughs> that is fair. That is fair. I just um, think the youth of Micah Parsons, I think that just his future the gold plated road he's going to wreak havoc for for another decade so much fun to watch yeah yeah there's there's a lot of them i mean miles garrett and tj water they're not even 30 yet so you still have to deal with them for at least another four or five years um maybe even more and like you said we got the bosa brothers you have chase young you have michael parsons you just had will anderson jr and jalen carter coming to the league so there's a lot of dudes that they kind of worry about and quarterbacks are going to have some sleepless nights trying to deal with those guys in the future. So it'll be really fun to watch. Uh, let's quickly hit on the calves here. Um, I guess the first question, you know, for you, Greg is how have you felt the season has started and then where do you have them projected towards the end of the season? And, and just to kind of go over their past couple games here, um, they beat the thunder on Wednesday Sorry, they lost to the Thunder on Wednesday. They beat the Warriors last Sunday, and then they had lost to the Pacers in their first game in the group stage for the play, the in-season tournament. Um, if you guys don't know what the in-season tournament is, basically, I guess a part of the games that each team plays during the season goes towards some sort of in-season cup, and it all goes towards their record Um for the end of the season, except for the championship game. That's an extra game that the teams would play. Uh, but the Cavs ended up losing the first one on that one. The Cavs are right now three and five and sitting, sitting 11th in the East. So again, Greg, how have you felt the season started so far? And what do you think they're, what would you project for them at the end of the season? They would look like. I mean, I guess I'll start with the, with this the season as of right now, and uh, like you said, three and five. Um, it's just inconsistency. Um, Darius Garland struggled is struggled a lot. I think he's shooting from downtown. Uh, he's got twenty four turnovers and just twenty seven assists. Um, he just the team as a whole just doesn't. I haven't watched a lot of games, but the highlights I've watched just seem like there's not a lot of energy and not a lot of effort involved. Um, you know, they beat the Golden or the Warriors and, you know, did that. I don't want to say deciding the faster. It was somewhat of a close game. Um, but then they put up, they gave up 70 points in the first half uh, against uh, OKC. Obviously, uh, Oklahoma City is 
I don't want to say they're in a rebuild mode, but they got a lot of young guys and they're playing real happy and real fast and it, it's fun to watch. Um, so, I mean, bottom line, I think consistent is the key to moving forward for them. Um, I expect them to be decent this year. Uh, definitely not title contenders. Um, maybe better than your average middle of the road team. I think maybe a record of 48 and 34 overall. Don't see them playing with the energy that they should. It just doesn't seem, they don't seem excited. So that that's all I can say. It is kind of weird because we did the nothing but net episode like a week and a half ago. And we kind of gave our standings project- projections. And I I predicted them to be third in the East. I thought they had the talent to be there. Now, I still think they do. But, again, I, I know they had some injuries at the beginning of the season, right? They didn't have Jared Allen. That hurts a little bit. I think that they're trying to function as a new team. They have some new role players on there. They they ended up moving on from, like, Chetty and some other guys. And they brought some new guys in. So, maybe that's hurting the flow. But I don't mean to put this all on Donovan Mitchell, but it does kind of feel like he's been playing pretty well. But again, you look at those Utah Jazz teams and like, yes, they were successful, but there wasn't much playoff success. And at times they had stretches as a team where like it just didn't feel like, like you said, they were uninspired. They were a little disheveled and they weren't able to win games that you thought they should have. Like they've dropped two games to the Pacers now. And I'm not saying the Pacers are a bad team, but that's a team that they should be beating. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't think that they should be losing two games pretty much at the beginning of the season against the Pacers like that, especially one at home. Like that should be a, a game that they should win. And and the Thunder, like you said, even though they have a lot of young guys, I think this Thunder team is going to be really good this year because, like you said, they're young and they're playing fast and they're playing free. And they have a lot of good young talent on that team. And right now they're just, they're just out there having fun. There's no expectations. And I think this Cavs team has a lot of expectations because of having Donovan Mitchell and because of having these other three guys on the roster that, you know, should be taking this next step. And it just doesn't feel like they are. And I think they really have to soul search on the inside because if this is what they look like by the trade deadline, I don't know if this team is what, what it is after the trade deadline. And I don't know what that means. I don't know who they get rid of, but we had this conversation um, outside of the podcast. Like we think, you know, this iteration of this team has this year to win a championship or show that they can compete for a championship. And if not, then ownership might break it up and send pieces elsewhere because Donovan Mitchell's only contract for another couple of years. And the sentiment is that he, doesn't really know if Cleveland is where he wants to stay. So you either have to convince him to stay or, you know, you ship him out and you build around the the core three that you have. So I just don't know what they're going to do or how they're going to proceed with this. And, and it is kind of a slow start to the season. Hopefully they, they turn it around, right? They get some guys healthy and maybe like you said, Greg, they hopefully they start to play uh, a little bit more inspired, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I still think they have the capability of being third in the East. It's just going to be a tough road if they're going to play this way. And I don't know if they play this way. I don't think that they, I think they're going to be fighting for a play in spot and I don't think that's where they want to be. So, but let's go ahead and finish this episode off real quick with um, 
some MLS talk. If you guys haven't been following along with the MLS playoffs, right now within the bracket, I won't go through all the teams because we're just looking at um, FC Cincinnati and the Columbus crew. FC Cincinnati has already moved on to the semifinals. They pretty handily beat, um, what is it? Uh, Yeah, Red Bull, New York or something like that. Um, I wouldn't say handily, but in the first game, they beat them 3-0, and then in the second game, they were tied 1-1. They did penalty kicks, and FC Cincinnati came out 8-7. So the second game was a little bit closer, a little bit more of a struggle, but they were able to win that one. They're matched up against uh, the Philadelphia Union in the semifinals here. Now, when you talk about the crew, they won their first game against Atlanta United 2-0. Um, and then in the second game, they lost four to two. So they do have to play on the 12th. That'll be the third and final game in that series to see who moves on to the next round. So for you, Greg, between both of these teams, what have you seen so far and what is your projections uh, going forward? I mean, I'm going to start with Cincinnati because that was what, you know, that, like you said, that three, no victory over, um, the Red Bulls in game one, um, it just, they, they looked good, um, had a lot of energy and, you know, while I don't like securing a victory over in penalty kicks, um, you know, they still won that. So, uh, I think that them moving on now, and I think that the next games are the 27th or something, something like a little after Thanksgiving is the next set of uh, round for them so enough time to rest and, and recoup before they have to get out there and and you know execute i think are they playing philadelphia or yeah the philadelphia union yeah yeah and i i from what i saw from them i just don't see that i think they'll handedly win that um but i mean obviously we're into a single elimination after that correct so it's single elimination and then yeah up up until and then the championship i believe the mls cup i think is a best of three as well if i remember correctly yeah so so i mean crazy things can happen but um i I think that that fc cincinnati's definitely put themselves in in a good position for that um when it comes to uh, the crew, it's kind of like I said, what I expected. Um, you know, the first round they came out, or the first game they came out, uh, you know, pretty well. Um, did a good job. Uh, but that uh, Atlanta team, uh, they very much improved their attack uh, in that second game. And I mean, you know, with the return of the 2023 young MLS Young Player of the Year, Tiago Amalda, um, in their starting lineup. Uh, you know, three different wingers contributed for goals and assist on attacks. So um, they definitely look like a different team from game one. So um, again, losing to a game to penalty kicks is something that you don't want to see. If Atlanta comes out with the same energy they did game two, then I don't see Columbus moving forward. Um, it's all a matter of if Columbus can regroup um, and and go from there. So, yeah, I agree. I think Cincinnati. You've seen their dominance pretty much all season. Um, the crew really came on late in the season, but with Cincinnati, you know, beating the New York Red Bulls pretty handily in that first game, and then being able to come out and grind out a penalty kick win in the second game to 
you know, not force a game three is huge. They're going to go up against the Philadelphia Union team, which, you know, they're usually always in the mix. So it's very, it'll be a very interesting uh, matchup between them and the Philadelphia Union and about kind of being like the Philadelphia Union is very much like, I don't want to say old guard, but they're, they've pretty consistently been competitive throughout the, their MLS time. And now you have Cincinnati, who is very new to this, to the playoff scene, I would say. And it'll be a very interesting matchup between, like you said, it's it's one and done. So anything could happen, right? If they catch FC Cincinnati in a bad day, then <laughs> I think that they could come away with this win. But you would expect FC Cincinnati to win this with how dominant they've been. For the crew, I think they have to get to the second round. I think, like, not that it would be a failure on the season, but just with how hot they've been, how good Cucho's been. And I just really think that that I would like to see them get to that second round and, and play against Orlando. I think it would really test this organization, test this franchise, test the players to see where they're at and what they need to improve on and get better. You know, I don't know if anybody is in 100% belief that they can win the MLS cup. I would love for them to win the MLS cup. And as they play, I'll cheer them on no matter what, but I think I would like to see them in a, in a winner take all game against Orlando just to kind of see where we're at as an organization, because this year, I don't think we really expected to be here. We thought we were going to be in a rebuilding year. We thought that with a new coach, a new system that maybe we would, maybe make a playoff push, but that we might be like one of the bottom seeds or maybe the first seed, the first team looking on the outside, but sitting at third, having the opportunity to get there, I think it would be a fun time. And listen, I am pushing for a conference, an Ohio conference final. I think that would be so fun. A winner take all Cincinnati versus Columbus. That would be that would probably be one of the most watched MLS games in a long time, just because of the rivalry that it brings and what it would do. And I understand all the games are on freaking Apple TV or whatever, but it would, it would make me get a, a free trial for Apple TV for one day to go watch that <laughs> game <laughs> just so that I could see them play. You can just come over. I have Apple TV. Okay, cool. Yeah. We'll make a day of it. <laughs> So no, I mean now that would be super fun, but I don't know. I I think that if they do play Orlando, maybe Orlando will have the best of them. But like I said, it's single elimination. Anything happens. So we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll keep up on it. Like I said, I think they play on the twelfth. So the next time we talk, we'll probably be right around when those semifinals will be happening. So if they're in the semifinals, we get to talk about it. And if not, we'll just talk about FC Cincinnati and and maybe follow their journey to a championship. So Alrighty, as always, guys, we're going to end this episode on our double take segment here, and I'll kick it over to Greg first. So mine's a little bit of a stretch, this this uh, episode, but uh, um, so with Thanksgiving coming up, did you know that the first president of the United States was responsible for Thanksgiving being on the fourth Tuesday in November? I did not know. But did you know that wasn't George Washington? I don't understand. <laughs> so, uh, so this was a little bit of a stretch when it was tying it to Ohio. But uh, I wish I would have known you in 2017, so that we could go to what they considered the 
first president of the United States, or the, I'm sorry, the one and only Presidential Museum. It was in uh, Hill, Hill, Hillwood, Ohio, I believe. Um, so have you ever heard of, let's find his name again. Have you ever heard of John Hansen? Sorry, say again. I'll start that over. So have you ever heard of John Hansen? I think so. So many people argue that John Hansen, not George Washington, was the first president of the United States. So under the Articles of Confederation, the, the United States had no executive branch. So the president of Congress was a ceremonial position within the Confederation Congress. So John Hansen was appointed the very first president of the Confederation Congress. Thus, some would argue to be the first president of the United States. And a gentleman by the name of Ray Pius Jr. Um, unfortunately died in 2017, and that's when they closed the museum. But he had a presidential museum here in Ohio uh, for the one and only presidential museum that was dedicated solely to what he considered and some would consider the first president of the United States, John Hansen. Now, John Hansen was from Maryland, so we really didn't have any connection to Ohio, but like I said the, you know, for up till 2017, that, um, that uh, museum was, was here in Ohio. All right. Sorry, it was a little bit of a stretch, but John Hansen was responsible for Thanksgiving. So, okay, interesting. And what he like started it here in Ohio is what you said? No, no, the museum was in Ohio. Um, but, uh, John why Hansen, was it? Why was it in Ohio? Because that's where Mr. Nick Pius Jr. uh decided that he lived and wanted to create the one and only presidential museum. All righty, interesting. There's a lot to take in there, so you know, take your time. I don't really know where to go from here. <laughs> I don't know. I like it's so okay. There's a man from Missouri named John Hansen who was oh, elected okay. to be the first president of what during the Revolutionary War? Yeah, before um, before America, you know, did its you know. Uh, a declaration of independence and all that there was the confederation congress and he was uh, elected the first president of of the uh or you know first i have to scrub this probably like the first like per, like he was like the guy in charge of the confederation congress like the head yeah. of it or whatever yeah, yeah yeah i got you that makes sense i mean yeah and then, one, one of his one of his tasks was to uh, enact that uh, establishing Thanksgiving Day as the fourth Thursday in November and the fourth uh, holiday, national holiday. And you know, many, 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 many years later, uh, a guy named Nick Pius Jr. decided that he wanted to create a um, museum here in Ohio that was dedicated to him. So that that's my uh, Ohio connection. So sorry if some of you listeners have already tuned out and shut off after this because, you know, I, I was a little long-winded, but that's what it is. No, I mean, it's cool. It's definitely, like, an interesting thing. It's, like, it's probably one of the most Ohio things 
I think I've heard in a while, like it just just like something weird that's out there. But when you talk about Ohio, I mean it's a very rich um history in in presidents and people within uh you know positions of government um and and other things, famous celebrities who have done TV, music, um, art, all that stuff, movies, so sports athletes. Yeah, I mean that's it's very interesting. So yeah, I mean that guy clearly had a, a very a very passionate about history, and it is very something interesting. I I'm trying to like I really liked history when I was a kid, so I'm trying to remember if I even like even learned about him in general. So it's very interesting that you know maybe maybe they just breeze over it because it's like a a pre a like it's just very very much before everything happened. Um, but yeah, it's very interesting. Maybe we'll try to maybe we'll try to look into him some more and and see if there's more history about about John Hansen and and everything that he did. You know, I guess for the because he had to have a a pretty big hand in the creation of of America too back then as well. So I'm surprised that maybe we haven't heard more about him or I don't know. At least for me, I really never knew about him until you said his name. <laughs> so sounded familiar, but I don't know. It's very interesting. Very interesting. Um, I'm going to say I slacked a little bit. I don't really have one. Um, I wouldn't watch the Marvels today. So if you guys, you know, are Marvel fans in general, it's a pretty solid movie. If you want to go watch it, not that we're getting paid to endorse it or anything, but I thought it was pretty good. It was pretty cute. Um, I think, uh, I think it's worth, worth going and spending a little bit of money on to go watch. I guess if you like those kinds of things, do you need to see it to understand the continuity of the storylines of what's going on in the Marvel universe? Or is it one of those things that you don't have to necessarily watch to understand? Um, I would, I would say watch it if you want to understand kind of what's going on with all the multi multiverse stuff and everything. I think it plays a factor into it. I really don't think there's many things Marvel wise that you don't have to watch. You know, I think maybe, maybe the only thing that I would not recommend watching is like She-Hawk. Um, <laughs> I don't think that really plays any part into what's going on except for like the last episode. So if you wanted to watch like the last five minutes of the last episode of it, then you get to see something cool there. But other than that, that series is kind of a dud, but everything else is pretty good. You know, I know there's lots of hate on everything that's been put out, you know, post end game except for obviously like Spider-Man. But I do think, like I was talking to Ashley earlier, we just have to kind of tamper our expectations and and really understand that we built a connection with a lot of characters and they're gone now. And we have to try to believe in the process and try to be open to building connection to new characters that are being introduced and accept that those guys aren't coming back. And I think that's where a lot of the hate comes from. But like I said, I think this is a, it's a good movie. It's, it's not very long. I think they do a good job telling the story. I think the characters are really well portrayed. Um, and it seems like, like I said, it seems like a complete story and it really ties into everything that they've been doing. So yeah, I would go watch it. I mean, a lot of movie theaters during the day, they're like $5 tickets. So if you can do one of those, that might be worth going and, and seeing it. So I don't know. Other than that, I got a new dog. So he's been pretty much taking up a lot of my time. <laughs> I got to, uh, two uh big dogs that that take up a lot of our time now <laughs> that might have been a better topic than the the marvels but i mean yes yeah i guess it is fair yeah we got a new dog named blizzard we rescued him from the humane society 
So he's a good boy. He gives lots of love. That's just very surprising. So he was at like he was uh, out on the streets for a long time. He ran away because somebody tied him out, tied him up outside. So he chewed himself loose and ran away for a while. Um, so but that's he, one thing we can say is that if uh, you're still listening after this point of us rambling on for the last five, ten minutes or so, is that definitely donate to the uh, Ohio uh, Humane Society um, can help some puppers out. Uh, yeah. Find good homes. So. Anything helps. I mean, I, I know in high school, I, I volunteered a couple of times to go help like, you know, walk dogs or play with dogs or cats and stuff like that. And I think that's, that's a, that's a good way that you can, you can give back it too. You don't have to go, you know, adopt a bunch of animals and stuff like that, even though I'm sure Ashley's already said she wants a, a dog farm one day, but I'm like, that's a lot of dogs. <laughs> I don't know if I want 10 or 12 dogs, but everybody has their dreams and goals and aspirations, I guess. <laughs> but no, we, we, uh, we wanted to get a friend for miles and, and they seem pretty good fit. So, which is good. They're both, they're both partial Huskies. So they like to talk and like to be sassy, but uh, yeah, as Greg said, if you're still listening, uh, we do appreciate <laughs> you guys coming and listen to these episodes and uh, you know, as always, we will catch you on the next episode of Ohioverse presented by Deep Dive Sports. See you guys. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of Ohioverse. If you'd like to stay up to date on the show and sporting news in Ohio, go ahead and follow Ohioverse Podcast DDS on Instagram. Also, don't forget to follow deep.dive.sports on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And listen to any of our shows wherever you get your podcasts. And again, thank you. And catch you on the next one.